In the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, he was with God and was God. In the beginning, Jesus was the Word. Jesus says, I am, all throughout John's account. He says, I am the bread of life that fed God's people in the wilderness. He says, I am the shepherd that led you through your brokenness. He says, I am the light that first shone into darkness. He says, all of this, I am the resurrection, I am the vine, I am the way, the truth, the life. And he does this to show that he is God, the word who was before the beginning of time, which is a lot to believe. And it's why Jesus said, if you don't believe me, at least believe the signs. For these signs not only pointed back to prove who Jesus is, they also pointed forward to prepare us for what he ultimately did. Whatever the sign may be, the message it would tell is that this Jesus who is God the I Am was going to accomplish his plans through death and burial. That is what the signs pointed to. On the cross is where their meaning was unfurled. That the I am would be the lamb who dies to take away the sin of the world. But Jesus would perform a final sign that would prove he is the I am, the word, who in the beginning spoke and the universe was made. And that sign is that Jesus rose from the grave. That is why John wrote his book, to give us the signs that point to who Jesus was, what Jesus did, how Jesus died and rose to life. And now, John's gospel comes to each of us and asks the same thing. So please, look at these pages, see the signs of Jesus, and believe. Hey, uh, John chapter one, uh, I'm sorry, John series, we're going to start in chapter two, but I want to kind of highlight where we're going with John and with everything going on, I just felt like there's, there's no better place to anchor ourselves in during a storm, during a quarantine, during what the heck's going on in our world than in Jesus. And the reason why we're going through John, we're going to take the whole summer uh, starting now, we're going to take it all the way through August to just walk through the book of John. It's, first of all, it's an incredible read. Uh, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. If you're new to faith or just wanting to explore it, it's a great place to start as well. Um, it's, not, it's not like the other three synoptic gospels. It's its own standalone. And the, the author wrote John as well as Revelation, as well as First and Second John uh, and Third John. But um, it really is an incredible book that highlights anchoring ourselves in Jesus. And so I, I kind of want to start with the idea that um, the word life comes up 50 times in, um, in the book of John. And um, there's three different words for life. Um, one is zoe, which means abundant life. That's sort of the spiritual life that God wants to give us. It's called zoe life. Uh, the next one is suke, which is like psychology, it's existence, it's breathing, it's life. And then the other one is bios, which we're, where we get our word biology. Um, every time in the gospel of John that the word sukos 
is referenced though, it's referenced in the sense of giving up something. Like give up your sukos to receive zoe. The zoe life, the abundant life that Jesus said, I came to come and give you life and life to the full. It's this zoe life. It's frankly what we're all chasing. And, and John wraps up his whole gospel, not just in a collection of stories about Jesus, but it's really in highlighting where this Zoe life comes from. And his sort of thesis uh, to, to really sum up the entire gospel is found in John chapter 20 in verse 30 and 31. And we're going to read that really quickly. And it's going to be the theme throughout the entire series of John. And it says this, Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So Jesus did lots of signs and wonders, and he said things and made statements and had meetings. But John selects specific ones. It's not a chronological order of the three years of Jesus, um, but it really is the selection of specific things. And then he goes on to say, but these are written so that you might believe and that in, that in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That these things are written that you might believe, and in, in believing, you might have zoe life. In this ver, uh, verse, John uses the word believe. And that's not believe like I believe something exists, because Jesus said even the demons believe and tremble that there is a God. But this word believe actually is a different word, and it means to put one's trust or faith in. So in other words, John is saying, we've written these things. I've written these things by the power of the Holy Spirit and the unction of the Holy Spirit to highlight certain things about Jesus that you might put your trust in him. And in doing so, you might find this Zoe life. And so essentially it's putting your trust or your faith in Jesus and who he really is, is what produces what we all chase, the Zoe life. And so that's kind of kind of be where we go for this, this series. It's not going to be so much line by line, what does the book say? But it's really going to be going after what John was going after. What are the stories that John included? And what are the statements that John included that Jesus made that all point to trust in him, put your faith in him, and in doing so, it will produce life in you that you can find no other place. Um, John gives us a specific pathway to belief and it's seven signs Jesus performs and seven statements that Jesus makes. And these are very famous in the book of John, seven signs and seven statements. And that's why when you're reading the book of John, you'll stumble upon something that John says where he'll say, this is the first sign, or this is the second sign, or this is the third sign that Jesus made. And it's because John's pointing to seven signs And then seven statements, and these statements are I am statements that Jesus would make. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. These I am statements, I am the vine. I am the door or the way. And these are connected to the book of of Exodus, where God came to Moses and said, I am. I am everything that you Need And so Jesus shows up and he has seven I am statements connecting the, the readers of this book all the way back to their heritage in uh, Moses and when God first showed up. And so we're going to pick up in John chapter two. And the reason for that is because this is the first sign. 
And so we're going to pick up in uh, verse 1. I'm going to be reading from the ESV translation. It'll be up on your screen. It says this. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding. Well, that's kind of nice. <laughs> the mother of Jesus is invited. And then, yeah, I might as well invite Jesus too. When the, and then it says this. Jesus was also invited to the wedding. Verse 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? Sounds super derogatory, but it actually wasn't. My hour has not come. That's very interesting. And we'll come back to that. Verse five, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now becoming wine and did not know where it had come from, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, I want you to know that he called the master, he called the bridegroom, not the bride, the bridegroom, and said to him, everyone serves good wine first, like everyone knows this. And when people have drunk freely, quotations, then, the, then bring out the poor line, wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed put their trust in, faith in this person. At this point, Jesus only had five disciples along with him. And these disciples saw what had happened and they began to put their trust in Jesus. Father God, I pray for your word today. And the few minutes that we have together as we really explore what it looks like to find Zoe life in you, Jesus. What it looks like to understand who you are through what you did through what you said, that we might believe. Lord, in each and every one of us, there are places of unbelief, places of doubt, places of fear. And God, you welcome those doubts and those fears and those unbelief areas in our life. And you just simply ask us to come to you with those and say, God, will you help me? Because I want to put my faith, my full trust in you. And I pray that through these moments, by your Holy Spirit, that you draw our heart to understand more and put our trust more in you, Jesus. Amen and amen. You know, after reading this story, I've read it a lot and there's a lot that we can take from it. I love weddings and it's just a fun story. I've actually been to Cana and it's this cool little town, but I, I kind of walk away from that story and I think like, why, why was this one of the seven signs? Why was this story included if so many others were not? And obviously um, the Holy Spirit through John is speaking to something about Jesus. And we're going to explore that. In order to do that, we need to understand a little bit more about a Jewish wedding because a Jewish wedding is very different than a normal wedding that you and I would go to. A normal wedding for us is a day or an afternoon. And then there's maybe a reception afterwards. But in those days, uh, this is a party and a party 
already went from seven to 10 days was a Jewish wedding. And I mean, it was full on, just like no holds barred party. They had an incredible time. They know how to have a great time. It wasn't inappropriate. It was just a wonderful celebration and a culmination of some things that we're going to talk about to begin this journey of this couple. And um, then it specifically says on the third day, of the wedding. And I want to highlight that just because it's an interesting fact. And that is that Jew and it's still today, anytime there's a Jewish wedding, it's always on a Tuesday. Uh, and that's because Tuesday is the third day. And the reason for that is because uh, on the third day, if you look at the account in Genesis, when God is creating the world, it's the only day where God um, says it's good twice. And so the, the, the Jewish people believe that there's, an, uh, there's a double blessing on Tuesday. Now we have taco Tuesday on blessing on, uh, uh, and I believe that those tacos are blessed. In fact, double blessing on the taco Tuesday. But in, in Jewish culture, they believe there's a double blessing on a marriage. And so that's why anytime there's a Jewish wedding, it's always on a Tuesday for the double blessing. And so that's the third day. And then it says, uh, and then the, the, second, the third thing that's interesting about a wedding is that it was the groom's job to go away for a year before the wedding and um, to save, to work hard, to prepare, to receive his bride. So, so they would get engaged and then the groom would literally leave for an entire year and, and not talk to the bride. And he would, he would give himself, right? To this work. He would save and he would prepare. And one of the things he was preparing for was this week long celebration of a wedding to make sure everything was taken care of. And you just, you have to understand the symbolism here. First of all, it all points to Jesus. And so we see that on the third day, they get married. And how many know Jesus rose from the grave on the third day? And he did all of this for his bride. And so, so there's symbolism there. But the second thing is that just like the husband, the groom, would go away for a year to prepare. Jesus in John 14 says, I go away to prepare a place for you that you might be with me where I am. I love this. And so this is what we see steeped into this, this marriage, this wedding ceremony is the covenant love of God constantly going after us. And so we find ourselves in this story and everyone knew that it was the groom's job to prepare for this celebration. So this was his moment. This was his moment to, to prove to himself, to prove to his friends that, that he's capable, that, that he's trustworthy, that he's going to be a good provider for his family. And, and he would prove all of that by going away, by doing his due diligence. And then on this platform, when everyone's watching this full week or this 10 days, when, when, when all eyes are on him and the preparation that he has done, he has found himself, despite his best efforts, he has fallen short because by the third day, they've already ran out of wine. And so when you and I read this, it's kind of like, okay, you ran out of wine. It's like, it's not that big of a deal. There's lots of weddings that don't even have wine. But in those days, this literally represented this man's hard work and yet falling short. It was actually bringing shame upon him and his whole family. And so Jesus' mom kind of steps in and she asks Jesus, like, 
Hello, they ran out of wine. I need you to step in. And in John chapter two, verse four, it says this. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come. Such an interesting, (laughs) and I get it. Like lots of things that Jesus says is kind of like, why would you say that? But this is very significant because we see in not only John 12, but also John 17, Jesus using this same terminology again, and we know what he's referring to. And I'm just going to read in John chapter 12, verse 23, he's talking to his disciples. He's getting, he's, he's a week away at this point from being crucified. And he says to them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And so when Jesus would refer to the hour, the time, the moment, he was referring to his moment to take our place and climb up on that cross where, and take the punishment that we deserve for the remission of sins. And so when his mom came in and said, hey, I need you to do something. He's saying, no, it's, it's actually not my time to step in for humanity. And so you have to understand what's happening and the symbol or the sign that's taking place. And the first idea, and I just have two ideas. And the first one is this, Jesus was rescuing the groom from shame. And obviously he does the same for us. Jesus was rescuing the groom from shame. It's almost like his mom was looking at Jesus and saying, I know who you are. I know what you're going to do. And I'm asking you to do it now. See this groom, he has done everything he can to make a way for he and his bride to sail off into the sunset. And he has found himself at his lowest point. Incidentally, the number Six represents humanity or man's best effort. This is such a cool symbol. So Jesus says, hey, why don't you go get six stone water jars? He's stepping in to accomplish what man could never do on his own. His best day, he falls short. So Jesus steps in and he says, hey, go grab six the number that represents man's best effort. Go grab six of those. The husband worked as hard as he could to prepare and be honorable and provide and he came up short. So can you only imagine this husband or this husband-to-be and he's, he's like the lowest of low. And all of a sudden, the guests call him over and they say to him, how'd you do it? Like, you are remarkable. I can't believe you literally, like it, this party only gets better and better. The groom was thinking, my life is over. And now he's finding out it's just gotten better. It's not like Jesus said, you know what? We're going to take care of the wine. Go, grab, go buy some wine. I'm going to multiply it. Let's make it happen. Jesus literally gave him way better wine than he had before. So now the guests aren't just saying, hey, I'm so glad we didn't run out of wine. The guests are saying, oh my gosh, you are, you are better than I thought you were. Because now you're bringing out even better wine. This reminds me of, uh, of another story that Jesus told in the prodigal son when, when a young man came to the end of himself. And, and he thought, oh my gosh, like, 
I've taken all this money and to the very best of my ability, I have lived the abundant life, the Zoe life, what I thought it was. And now I've come to the end of myself and I am going to decide that, you know what? I'm no longer worthy. I'm just going to step into the shoes of this, this groom and think to myself, he was probably thinking the same thing. I'm, I don't even know if I'm worthy. Like I can't even, I can't even provide wine for the guests. How could I possibly provide for this bride that God's given me? This is such a responsibility. Like go there with me. Have you ever been in a place where you just work so hard on your own effort and it falls short and you question everything? Like how could I be this much of a failure? How could I keep going back to that Sin, I've worked as hard as I can every day when I wake up and I say, I'm going to be better. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to, I'm going to measure up. And at the end of the day, we put our heads down on our pillow and we realize it wasn't enough. And so we come to the conclusion, I'm no longer worthy. And you know why I'm worthy? Because I've done my very best and it's still short. And so in the prodigal son, we see the father and the father ran to the prodigal son because the father didn't want the son to have the walk of shame. And instead the father had the run of shame because he pulled up his skirt and he ran after that son and he said, no, not today, son, because it's not about your efforts. I welcome you in as a son, not because of you, because of me. It's my choice to step in for you and I call you son. And so Jesus is stepping in for the groomsmen and he's in the background. He doesn't, the, the, no one knows that Jesus did this. It says that the guests had no idea where the good wine came from. He just looks at the groom and goes, wow, you are amazing. I guess our question is, how are you doing it at proving to yourself and to others that you're enough? How are you doing at proving and working hard at being enough? So this was a sign that pointed to what Jesus would do. And that's that he would take our place. That he would rescue us from a life that was not enough. And in Jesus, he is enough. So now... The second part of this amazing sign, this amazing miracle is how he would do this. Now we know that Jesus, he steps into our place. He has, it's the great exchange. He has replaced our brokenness with his wholeness on the cross. And so the next part is, okay, so how? So we know that our best efforts don't get us there. And so do you know what we turn to next? We turn to religion. We turn to right and wrong. We turn to, we need to jump through all of these religious hoops so that way we can now be right with God because we know we're not right based on our effort. We've tried that road and failed. So now we turn to religion and Jesus is stepping into a culture that's steeped in religion. And so let's pick up in verse six and it says, now there were six stone water jars, the number four humanity or the best effort. Six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. Now, 
I had never really picked up on this and I don't even know exactly what that is. So I had to do some research, but Jewish, these were, this was the, for Jewish ceremonial washing. Hand washing represents clean and right with God. And you'll probably uh, remember the verse that says, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, but he who has clean hands and a pure heart. See, back in this day, water, the washing of water was a very significant thing for people to be right with God. And so these pots, that's what it was for. That's what they were for is that they would be filled with water and they would specifically use these, these jars, these clay jars, because they believed that it wouldn't contaminate the water. There was other kinds of jars that they would never use for this. They were specifically designed to not contaminate the water because the water represented right with God. And so these jars weren't just random heavy jars. They were literally the symbol of something that connected you to your relationship with God. So here we are realizing our best effort doesn't get us there. So let's move over to religion. If I just do everything that the priest says, then maybe my, my relationship will be right with God. And so that's what these jars represented. And Jesus looks over at these six pots and he goes, yeah, once you fill those with water and everybody around's going, whoa, like those are kind of special, Jesus. I mean, like I'll do it because, because it's for, they're for water. So maybe you're going to do some religious ritual with these pots because that's what they were for. The mindset regarding what makes you right with God was these jars. So, and what's interesting is that water was essential to be right with God, but wine was a forbidden in the temple. You, you weren't allowed to have wine in the temple. Now you could have it in a synagogue and oftentimes a wedding was done in a synagogue. It was more like a community center and they would party and things like that. But you were not allowed to have wine inside the temple and yet water was essential for your walk with God. And so because of that, you have to understand they would never put wine in these jars. They just wouldn't do it. These jars are meant to go into the temple and they would represent being right with God and washing and cleaning yourself. And so Jesus says, go grab these pots and put water in them, which is fine, but they would never put wine in these jars. See, Jesus was replacing religion with himself. That's my second idea. The first is that Jesus was, rescues us from shame. The second one is Jesus was replacing religion with himself. So Jesus looks over to these jars, which symbolize religion, religiosity, and says in the text, fill them to the brim. So they bring it to the guests of the wedding. And once they were filled, the water has now been replaced by the wine. And Jesus says, I am going to be the one that makes you right with God. This wine represents the blood of Jesus. That Jesus literally says, I'm doing away with something old and I'm bringing in something new. And a little bit later on, Jesus says to the disciples, listen, I'm bringing new wine, but it needs new wineskin. There needs to be a new system for my new wine. I'm doing something new. New. 
Because see, good works can't save you, but neither can religion, neither can, can ritual or routine. None of that saves you. It's Jesus and he's showing up on the scene and he's taking something that's a symbol for religion and he's saying, fill it to the brim with myself. This represents the blood of Jesus. What you once relied on has been replaced. And I, I guess... We have two questions to ask this morning. The first is, how are we doing at, at working hard to be enough? But the second one has to do with our walk with God and our relationship with God. And have we, have we come to grips with the fact that religion has been replaced? And I talk to people all the time who ask me like, you're a pastor, so like what religion are you? And, and what, what kind of versions do you follow in terms of the, the Ten Commandments and all the rights and wrongs and do's and don'ts? And like, tell me your theology. And I just, I just need to say this. It's been replaced. Religion had a time. Religion was the, the old covenant and it was a means to a glorious end. So Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish, but fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilled the religion. I had a buddy tell me that he heard a sermon recently on um, dress code for uh, religious gatherings. And I just thought, gosh, we have to understand that religion has been replaced. And it hasn't been replaced with like, do whatever you want. It hasn't been replaced with let's party and go drink wine. It's been replaced with the person of Jesus Christ. Him, a relationship with him. There's no do's and don'ts. There's no um, Old Testament. Listen, read the Old Testament because we understand who God is. But the, but the covenant, that was made and all of the rules have been accomplished through Jesus. And so now Jesus is on the scene and he's saying, listen, I've replaced that with who I am. My goodness, my blood that was shed for you. I rose on the third day and now I'm inviting you to believe. Believe. Put your faith and your trust in me not in your good works, not in your best efforts and not in your religion, but put your trust in your faith in me. See, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the door, I am the vine, I am the bread of life, I am the living water. And so Jesus is saying to the people, listen, that was done away with because I'm here and I am the pathway to life. Life. I'm going to end with this. And I love the fact that John starts out this gospel with the first sign. And the first sign is a wedding. And Jesus and John ends his writings in Revelation at a wedding. And it's the, the, the wedding feast of the lamb. And he says, blessed are you if you're invited to this amazing feast with Jesus, the wedding where we are his bride and he is the groom and he's coming back for us. And there's, there is incredible prophecies in the Old Testament that speak of the day when our savior will come and save us and create a new way. And one of the things that they point to is wine. So this is a sign 
Because Jesus is showing up and he is filling these jars with his wine, his new wine. And I want to read to you Amos chapter 9, verse 13, and we're going to close on this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will overtake... will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. So Jesus was showing up on the scene and he wasn't just doing a miracle and he wasn't just solving a problem at a wedding, but he was literally announcing the new kingdom as the wine is filled to the brim and overflowing. And it's not just any wine. It's amazing wine stepping in for what this groom could never do. And he was doing it not through ritual or routine, but he was doing it with himself. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning.